over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at our third season of our Called Out series, which has been stretching this entire year. And this part is, uh, what is it for us to be the church? What are the implications of the gospel on, uh, on people that would say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm one uh, that honors the Lord, and uh, I'm one that follows him. And, uh, but the sobering uh, part of that is that in America, we love to think of that very individually. I know God. I know Jesus. The scriptures don't exactly speak to it with that much specificity all the time. Yes, there is a transformation of an individual's heart from death to life. God takes a heart of stone out and puts in a heart of flesh. Yet, more often than not, he speaks to his people kind of aggregate all of us all at once he is speaking to us and so what is it for us to be the church well today we're going to come to a a familiar passage Um, maybe you've heard songs sung about it Uh, it's the valley of dry bones we were uh, talking earlier in prayer this morning Um, the valley of dry bones that's a fitting uh, a fitting passage to look at after watching USC football over the last season and uh, so you know, maybe God can raise the dead, uh, and <laughs> who knows? Uh, there's always next year, right? Um, but he, here, the prophet Ezekiel is speaking to people, speaking to people who are in exile. So how do God's people end up in exile was due to their unfaithfulness and their rebellion, their resistance to the word of God and to who he is. God allows Babylon to come in and conquer them, destroy their land, destroy Jerusalem, and carry them away to that God-forsaken place, Babylon. Read Revelation and you'll understand the thoughts of God's people at that time of Babylon. But but what's interesting is this is the southern kingdom. This is Judah being carried away. 130, 140 years earlier, the northern kingdom had fully been conquered and dispersed. And and you would think, wouldn't, wouldn't people learn? And I ask that about my own heart rather than about everybody else. Wouldn't I learn? Wouldn't I watch what happens when uh, God brings people uh, to the ultimate end of of not knowing him and following him or or maybe of their unfaithfulness? These people end up in exile, and and all that they knew was gone. Their hope was gone. Their national identity was gone. All that they had, had hoped for was no longer an option. And God speaks to this hopeless people. And he speaks through the prophet Ezekiel. And so we're going to look at Ezekiel 37, and we're going to look at the first 14 verses. Would you stand as we just express our submission to the word of God? He speaks. We want to hear his word. So the hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around them, and behold, uh, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. 
And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the word of the Lord to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come up upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come Uh, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came, uh, came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and I will raise you from your graves, O my people. I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. And you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Father, be with us, and thank you that you are not merely a God who is powerful, but you speak to us. God, you want us to know you. You want us to know your power. You want uh, us to experience the life of the Spirit and be made alive. Father, I pray that we as a church, as a collective, Father, would you bring us uh, and drive out any place where there's dry uh, lifelessness in us. Father, for those who have never come to know Jesus, who do not know the life-giving power of the Spirit, God, would you today give them life? Would you bring them from a place of being dry, dead bones to alive. Father, by your spirit, use your word, and we just pray that you would be powerfully in our midst. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. In kind of thinking through a passage like this, and one that is uh, just an illustration in and of itself, uh, you know, how do you, uh, how, how do you speak on it? How do you, how do you present it and all of that? And I started to think about the idea of God giving life, of God bringing life again to something that was alive. And I started to think about Lazarus. Lazarus was uh, the man in in, uh, the book of John that had died and was a good friend of Jesus. And and Jesus goes, and and four days after Lazarus had died, he goes to the tomb. He says, open it up. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. 
and Lazarus walks out of that tomb. Today, we, I don't know if you, you picked up on it, that we sang about resurrection. We sang about the life-giving power of God, that he takes dead things and he makes them alive. What do you think Lazarus was like after he was raised from the dead? Scripture's really silent on it, and I know there's a comedy bit going around now that would say, you know, he's kind of disappointed, he was in heaven, and, you know, God's like, ah, you're going back to earth. But barring that reality, uh, the, the sense of what does a person that was dead and is now walking around on earth, how do they live? What do they look like? Well, not necessarily physically, but what's their countenance? Uh, What's going on? And the scripture is silent, you know, like Lazarus is raised from the dead. You'd think he'd be a rock star, but no, uh, he he just happens to be a picture of the resurrection. But think for a moment. If you were Lazarus and you had been raised from the dead, what would you act like? Would you be skeptical towards God? Would you be disinterested? You know, we come to church and we do our thing and we go. Would you be lifeless in the things of God? If you were one that had been resurrected from the dead by the voice of Jesus, of course you would not be any of those things. You would, uh, you know, a guy who has experienced, like Lazarus, firsthand, the so obvious that you can't miss it power of God. There's no way that that person is the same after experiencing that. He was given new life. And you can't experience the resurrection power of God and then go back to going through the motions. Or can you? Because God is speaking to his people here. And he speaks to a people who have experienced him, who have known him, who have uh, been raised in the things of God. They've been around when they were sacrificing uh, animals for their sin, blood spilled for them, celebrating the Passover. These people have experienced these things, and yet God terms them a valley of dry bones. And I think there's a real danger for us as God's people. And the danger is that we become a lifeless community of God's people. And I write God's people on purpose uh, because I I was thinking a lifeless community of faith. But uh, is this a community of faith or not? And here's the interesting thing about the prophets. There was a whole nation of people that were unfaithful to God that had basically walked away from him, and yet always inside of that apostate, unfaithful nation, God talks about a remnant. A remnant of people who truly know him, who truly recognize their sin before him, who truly know they have no hope except for the grace and mercy of God. And so there's always... But, but here's the interesting thing, is when the prophets speak, they don't say, well, now this one's for the remnant, this one's for the apostate. He speaks to God's people. So you might be saying, oh, I know God, I know Jesus, I have the life-giving power of the Spirit in me. This passage, I got this one, I'm alive, I'm not dead bones. But yet this passage was spoken to both faithful and unfaithful Israel. What I mean is that unfaithful Israel, a nation of God's people, 
oftentimes is much like a church. It's visible. You're a part of the visible expression of what it is to be a church. But do you know Jesus truly? So inside that visible expression is the, is the remnant, the people who actually know Jesus. And if that just made you uncomfortable, awesome. Because you're listening and saying, God, do I know you? Am I part of the, tr- the remnant that really knows you and trusts in you and is saved by the redeeming grace of, of Jesus? Or am I just sitting here? Am I a part of the visible church? But I am definitely not yours. And I trust that the Spirit uh, will reveal and speak uh, to us this morning through his word. So God speaks to these people with this very stark eye-opening image. Okay, verse 1 and 2. Let's go back there. The hand of the Lord was on me, and uh, he brought me out in, in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold... Uh, There were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. God sets Ezekiel in this valley, and, and commentators are split both ways. Did he literally take him to the valley, or is this a vision? Um, truly, uh, for what God is communicating here, I think the, the point is clear either way. Uh, in that while bones uh, might actually come into life, that would be amazing. If it's a vision or he watches it in reality, the point's the same. Because he leads Ezekiel around and he leads him among, walking among the bones in this valley, spread out all over. Uh, And uh, he leads them so that Ezekiel can take it in. Just take in the, the, the sense of hopelessness, the full weight of the situation. You know, bones strewn everywhere, and, it was, and they were very dry. Now, bone, a um, uh, quick Google search would tell you this. I'm not this smart normally. Um, and, uh, you know, that bone is a living vascular organ. Okay, what that means is it has blood vessels, okay, and it contains channels of blood and marrow that run through it, okay. It also is the place in the body that makes new blood cells, both white and red, and platelets, okay. Living bones feel wet and actually are a little bit soft, okay. They're slightly flexible so that they can absorb pressure. That's what living bones are like. And so when someone dies... Their bones are not dry immediately. Their bones are wet. Their bones are filled with blood. Their bones are, uh, you know, there. And so for bones, and I'm not trying to be gross, for, for bones to become dry, they need to sit lifeless for a very long time. Flesh and ligaments decompose. After that, bones can take uh, up to years, depending on the climate, to dry up. And so if they're not just dry, but very dry, they've been there for a long time. There's no life in them. There's no life in this valley. This valley is a valley of death. Walking around, dead, nothing alive, just a a picture of bleak hopelessness. And then we get to verse 11. And then he said to me, son of man, that's Ezekiel, These bones are the whole house of Israel. 
Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, and we are indeed cut off. And so, yes, this is an image that God is, is kind of conveying. It's a picture of the spiritual life of God's people. That all of these bones, all of this death, all of this dried upness, made that one up. Um, all of these uh, things that you're, you're seeing, Ezekiel, this is what my people are in terms of life uh, in, in relationship to me. These bones are my people. He's not talking about physical death. He's talking about the spiritual vibrancy of Israel, of his people. They're lifeless. They're dried up. There's no vibrance in knowing God. Here's what's really interesting, especially when we're talking earlier about do you know him or are you merely sitting here? Without knowing God, God is saying that you are like these dry bones. Without hope, without life, if you do not have faith in Jesus, you cannot know God. If you do not have faith in Jesus, you do not have the life-giving power of the Spirit in you. If you do not know Jesus, you are truly have the spiritual life of that valley of dry bones. And even worse, it's not just lifeless. How did they describe themselves in verse 11? Not just, hey, we're dried up, but what word do they use? They, that, that we are, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, and indeed we are cut off. That idea of cut off is a, a language of curse. It, it, it's kind of covenant faithfulness and covenant cursing. And so uh, it, to be cut off is to be cut off from God. Go back to his, uh, Exodus um, 12, verse 15, when the people are preparing and getting ready for Passover. So this is before they come out of Egypt, out of slavery. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Okay? So if you don't follow what God is saying in terms of Passover, God says you are cut off from the people. Cut off from the people of God. And so that idea of being cut off is not just, oh yeah, you you know, you have a new address. You are now severed from the people of God, and if you're severed from the people of God here, you are ultimately being severed from knowing God. Because the people of God and knowing God were so intrinsically tied. You have no connection, no hope. They are cut off. And that's how the people in, in uh, Ezekiel describe themselves. We're dried up, our hope is gone, we are cut off. We're cast off, we're accursed And then God speaks in verse 3. And he, God, said to me, Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, "Uh, O Lord God, you know. Meaning, Ezekiel's like, I I got nothing on that one. Uh, But God, you, you probably could answer that one a whole lot better than I. So Ezekiel, can these bones live? Can there be life 
for the hopeless and the dead? Can there be life for the ones who don't know God? Can there be life? Uh, can there be uh, real vibrance once again? Because this nation is now in exile. They're under the control of godless Babylon. And can they be resurrected? Can they be brought back to new life again? A picture of salvation. Can they? Can we? Can anybody? And in that answer, we get to the life-giving power of the Spirit. And so verses 4 through 8 are this picture of salvation. This picture of God uh, kind of giving new life, but it's not complete yet. Verses 4 through 8, as we see the life-giving power of the Spirit. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones, say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the word of the Lord to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay up sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. And so as I did that, as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them, flesh, flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but. There was the evidence and the signs of the work of God. There was the structure of the work of God, but yet it was not uh, was not alive. They, they had, they, because if you have flesh and bones and uh, a body, but don't have the breath of God in it, what do you have? You have a dead corpse. You don't have a dried up corpse, but you have a dead one. So there was still a need for God to be at work. And so how does that happen? So uh, for us, I think for us, like, all right, what does this look like for us when we are saying we want to be the church that God has called us to be. We want to be God's people. Uh, go back and listen to that second song that we sang. To be a people that are set ablaze by the fire of the gospel so that God, in, God could bring about healing to people around us. That what, what would it be for us to evidence or show signs of the life of the Spirit. The first is that we are a people that are responding to God's Word. Okay? What made the bones come alive? The power of God, but, but God told Ezekiel to do what? Speak to the bones. Dry bones, can you hear the word of the, God, of the Lord? Dry bones, you prophesy over them. Hear the word of the Lord and come alive. That the word of God has a transforming power to it. What did we look at um, last week or two weeks ago was the power of God and how the power of God comes in and is the only thing that can take root. That we need a miracle for anything to happen. God says to, to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones. Verse 4, uh, that, that, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. That is the only thing that will give us life is the word of God. Period. The last verse in this passage, verse 14, where he says, Then you will know after all of these things that I am the Lord. I have spoken, God says, 
and I will do it, the work of resurrection, declares the Lord. It is God who speaks. So for us to be a people that are responding to the word of God, what is it for us not to speak like the prophet Ezekiel, that we're, we're uttering the, the proclamation of God that he's revealing, but that we would speak the word that he's revealed to us in, in the Bible and speak it over each other because it's the word that gives life. Would you define us as a people that speak the word to each other? The flip side is also true. Would we be a people that hear, receive, and take deep the word of God? A people that are responding to the word of God. That's how the power of the spirit comes and begins to take root. But also we are a a people who know that he is God. Look at verse 9 and 10. So remember, we've got this, we've got this body, this uh, the bones, flesh, skin. So we have a corpse, but we don't have life. We have a structure, but we don't have life. And verse 9 shows up. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath Uh, came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. That the breath was a very, uh, the life-giving power of God. And so remember, when God created uh, the world, what did he do in chapter 2, when we get the um, specific look into the creation of male and female, Adam and Eve, man and woman, how does God give life to the man? Chapter 2, verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So God's breath is what gives life. Now, let's fast forward to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, Jesus, this is post-resurrection. Okay, post-crucifixion, post-resurrection. He basically shows up in the upper room, you know, when he just kind of came through, and they were like, whoa, Jesus is here. Uh, and, um, And when he had said this, he breathed on them. All right, why? He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Because the breath of God is what gives life. And, and us receiving and having the power of the Holy Spirit is that idea of resurrecting new life. And so if the Spirit is in you, go back to Ezekiel 37 verse 14. I will put my Spirit within you, just like John 20, and you shall live. It's receiving the power of the Spirit, which is just like God's creative breath that gives life to dust and makes it alive that it is the resurrection power through the life of the spirit are we a people that would be accused (laughs) or would be described as a people that is uh that is truly alive in the spirit of God, that we show and, and look like we have the resurrection power of God in us. Because what do resurrected people act like? I'll tell you one thing resurrected people don't do. 
is that we show up, hang around other resurrected people for about an hour, say we did that, uh, and we disappear until the next week when we can hang out with other resurrected people, and we say that we are functioning as one of God's people. I think resurrected people are so excited about the work of God that pew sitters and people that aren't involved in uh, the, the life of, the, of God's people, those things, can they exist? If the life-giving power of God is in us, if the resurrection power is in us, we would be a people that speak the word and respond to the word. We would be a people who know that he is God. We would be a people because we are no longer cut off. How do, how do cut off people come back to not being cut off? It's not because we fixed ourselves up and came back to God. It is God went and he cut his own son off so that we might be brought back to life. Isaiah 53, verse 8, it picks up this language of, of covenant cursing. By a pre- this is about Jesus on the cross. Um, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. Jesus became cut off so that we wouldn't have to be. And so being made alive by the Spirit is not just having new life, but it is now not being cut off from his people yet again. And there's a desire to be connected uh, once again with his people. So a people that know who God is, but also a people alive in Christ. Look at the last uh, couple verses, 12 to 14. He says, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. Oh, my people, I will bring uh, you, uh, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, oh, my people. And I'll put my spirit in you, and you will live. There's an expectation. Did God raise us to life so that we could live lifeless existence of of being his people i can't fathom that he would i think he would raise us to new life so that we would be a people dynamically empowered by the spirit made alive so that we might live uh the the hymn writer charles wesley he wrote the hymn and can it be and he talked about the soul being in a dungeon the soul being trapped there, the soul being uh, imprisoned and, and, and without light, except that in, in how God works, uh, he says, Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon. It was flamed with light. Basically, he was in prison, and then God broke in and gave light. His chains fell off. His heart was free. He rose, went forth, and followed thee. Then down in the last verse, he says, no condemnation now I dread. I don't dread being poured out uh, and cast off. I don't dread that because Jesus, oops, (laughs) Jesus, Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head. 
Are you finding life in Christ or are you finding life in something else? Are we a people who are alive in the spirit of God that are speaking the word to each other, that are receiving the word from each other? Would we be termed alive or would we be more like dry bones? Sobering question, but God in his power says that he can make dry bones live. So if you're one that is struggling uh, in your uh, knowing of God, in your the, the life of what it is to follow him, God says that he is the one who can make you alive. Let's pray. Uh, God, would you be in our midst? Would you take your word? Would you be the one that makes us alive? God, I pray that we would be a people that are evidenced uh, as ones that are made alive by the Spirit. God, I pray that we would know you. I pray that we would speak of you, that we would uh, not give any other message other than your word to each other. God, make us alive by the Spirit. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.